a Podcast One production. What a beast the internet is. It has changed humanity. From leisure, sitting down, streaming a show, flicking messages to mates, ordering food and adjusting the aircon all at once without moving from the couch. How good is the internet? And, of course, it infiltrates our working life and even, and here's where it all gets a bit dark, how we think. I'm Adam Peacock, and on this episode of Peacock Politics, I'm about to find out, and I'm not sure I'm actually going to like the answers, how our politics is changing thanks to the internet, our interests or beliefs, how are they being formed without us really knowing it? What Bastian Treptor doesn't know about the internet and how it works, well, it actually hasn't been invented yet. And even then, he's probably across it. In a previous life, Bastian was a hacker. He broke into computers, stole information that wasn't his, naughty, naughty. Now... He's reformed, and he works for good, not evil. He's the host of Podcast One Cyber Hacker, a detailed guide about how our lives operate online. Check it out. It's worth it. And he runs CTRL Group, Control Group. Bastian, thanks for your time, mate. Um, now, before we get started, what's my PIN number? Look, I don't want to tell the general public, but it's in my phone already. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. No, mate, this is going to be a really interesting chat. I'll hit you with a wide one first up. The internet and politics, how are they intertwined? Look, everyone connects to the internet now for their news sources. So people are turning on the TV less and less. They're going on to Facebook for their news sources. And essentially by connecting online, it gives people access to the data of your base beliefs, your political views, all this subset of data that can be then used against you. How? I, was, I saw that movie. What was it? The Social Network? And they're all sitting around on computers and coding in the early days of Facebook. Is that basically how... It works. You, you gather information and you're always gathering this data about whatever someone's doing online. Yeah, look, it's pretty valuable. Like when you're on Facebook, you, the ads you're seeing, the video content you're seeing, you're usually friends with like-minded people. You're always seeing content that's reaffirming your political views. So once you actually build that data set of someone, like, okay, they swing right or left or conservative or they're a swing voter, then you can actually create content to either confirm their will or make them angry about something. So someone who may not go and vote, for instance, in America, will suddenly feel passionate about voting. Uh, We saw with the Cambridge Analytica uh, breach of Facebook data, they use that to manipulate young voters. They use that to manipulate older voters. The really scary one was the use of the data by Cambridge Analytica to convince people that it was a protest not to vote. So they said, they appealed to young people and said, look, as a protest, stand united with us and do not vote. Now, of course, what's that going to do? Okay, a little bit of media sensationalism, but the people who were voting in the belief that they wanted, the government they wanted to be in power, was then the only people voting. The people over 40 were the only people voting and that particular party got into power. That Cambridge Analytica one, what election was that surrounding? So that was the Caribbean elections where all the young people believed they were part of a movement, which was all social media based to not vote. And then the older voters, who was the basically the more conservative party, the one that Cambridge Analytica was being paid to support, all went and voted. And obviously that particular party got into power again. Who? So Cambridge Analytica was basically the wholesaler, if you like. They were given a, a product by or an idea by someone and then to go out and sell it. So who was actually forcing them? To do that, that they were just the kind of vendor, if you like. So this, well, this was the political party. So we know they've been involved with Brexit. We know they've been involved with the Trump. We know they've been involved with 
the Caribbean elections. They've been involved in elections in India. And essentially, they were being paid millions of dollars to bias election, and they've been very successful at it. In fact, the uh, government actually recently coined the term weaponizing data. So they're actually able to have such a crazy influence on the the elections and the outcomes that, that's called weaponized data. Okay. I want to break this down further. Definitely. Uh, so to weaponize the data, you've got to have the data in the first place. So how do they get their hands on the data and how is it so crystal clear to them that they can use it to weaponize it? Yeah, well, they had something like uh, 88 million records that provided to them by Facebook. They got in trouble and the, the guys are now you know, going through court and some of them are in jail because... They had the data, they were advising organisations and political parties that they had the data, and then they told everyone they deleted the data, but they didn't. This is where some of the legislations that are coming out in the world, like GDPR, to actually, you can have ownership of your data, and you can actually request that data be deleted, but sadly many people don't. But look, it's the political parties that are paying for it. They took the data from Facebook legally, then they were requested to delete it, they didn't, and they continued to use that data to influence elections. So Facebook, blame here. Well, yeah, Facebook got, obviously, you know, I mean, it was a slap on the wrist, really. He, he sat in there for two days and answered questions, and the people who were asking him questions didn't really know how to spell the word internet. <laughs> he kind of brushed them off. I mean, I mean, there were some financial penalties, but when you're... Facebook, Exactly. You're it's not going to be a huge issue, It right? is another language, isn't it? I mean, I could sit here for the next two days talking to you about the language of the internet and how it all works, and I don't think I can even begin to comprehend the depth of knowledge that you have. Well, it's, it's new to everyone, right? Like even us. So I'm not sure if the listeners have heard of IBM Watson, but it's basically an artificial intelligence tool designed by IBM. And it allows you to ingest everything on the internet. So you can ingest all the content on the internet and do things like content analysis or even sentiment analysis. So if you're a politician and you want to go and scroll the entire, say, australian.com.au.gov.au uh, all the news sites, and you can put in, say, Scott Morrison, and it'll give you a sentiment analysis. That's going to be more powerful than any poll because that's people talking on Reddit, that's people talking on forums, and it's so clever, it actually can tell whether they like you or not, the sentiment people are feeling. So they can real-time get analysis on how a speech went or how a new campaign or policy went. Back to this Facebook and Cambridge Analytica Situation. I'm, I'm only using this as an example, but just to try and understand the depth of how data and how people's political views go from inside their heads through a keyboard into a computer and then out to the world for other people to weaponize yeah. or for want of a better expression. And hopefully there will be one day a better expression. So it, it's a simple case of I'm sitting there in front of my computer. What did Donald Trump say today? Let's Google or look up on Facebook or send a message to my friend. Did you see what Donald Trump said today? For instance, did you see what Pauline Hanson said today? Scott Morrison, Bill Shorten, whoever. So that then is used as, oh, okay, this person has leanings or has thoughts down that political path. It's really interesting. There's that component of it, which is reading the cookies in your browser to see what's done. But more than that, people tend to look at content that reaffirms their views. So they'll, you know, uh, someone who swings left is probably more likely to listen to Triple J on stream that content online. Someone's likely to, you know, watch the ABC rather than Channel 10. All these things kind of make up little data points. And Cambridge Analytica claimed to have more than 10,000 data points on each individual person. So we don't actually know what those data points what, are. What's a data point? A data point is something like what news site you might browse or your name or your date of birth or how you voted last time. They're all data points. Well, Tom, I did a number two this morning. That's it. All of that stuff, yeah. How would they get a data point on that? 
Shudder the thing. Have you seen the new intelligent toilets? <laughs> Maybe they're reporting it to the internet. <laughs> um, how then does it manifest itself? How do political parties use this for gain or to twist the narrative in their way? That's what I'm fascinated about. Yeah, well, we've just, I mean, it's kind of, it's up to your imagination. So we gave the example before of the young people being persuaded not to vote, influence the election. Um, they heavily target swing voters. So I'm not sure if you've even heard the term deep fakes, for example. Deep fakes is to use a celebrity's face or a politician's face and change what they're saying. I've heard about this. So this is actually happening or absolutely before yeah. our very eyes? Yeah, so we haven't seen it too much in Australia yet, but we may see it in the upcoming elections. But um, essentially you'll get someone's face and you used to be able to basically change the, the way the lips move and it looked pretty fake. Now you can download content off the dark web. It's really easy to do. You can do it in a few minutes. And we're seeing these political parties, we're seeing companies like Cambridge Analytica pop up that will take famous people. So let's take the data, one of those data sets we were talking about before, and you happen to be a huge fan of an Australian cricket player, maybe the captain. Suddenly, you know, you're a bit of a fanboy of his and he's saying to you, oh, you know, this Scott Morrison guy's no good, blah, blah, blah. It's going to influence you. Maybe, maybe not enough to change your vote, but it's one step along the way. And we're also seeing, so it used to be also happening, not, not so much technology involved, but people would play the videos of Obama and then they would just write subtitles at the bottom. And the lips, people would just assume there's no volume and just read the subtitles and assume Obama had said it. That was sort of Gen 1. Now there's no real way of being able to see this, apart from they don't really blink. If you look really closely, their mouth looks a little bit fuzzy around the edges. We've even seen some hackers use it recently against the financial planner. Uh, friends of the financial planner was on Facebook. Her Facebook account was attacked. They then sent a video message of her client to the financial planner saying, hey, this is me, I'm going on holidays, you're not going to be able to get me on the phone. Please transfer $106,000 out of my bank account. So that's personal manipulation. We can see that happening on a political scale. It's um, pretty scary when you can't even trust someone that you believe and idolize saying something online with video. That's one way they can manipulate it. Another way, again, if you're a swing voter, showing you videos of things that anger you one way or another, grouping you with peers that are likely to influence you somewhat. There's just so many different ways. The one way around this all is to just not trust anyone. Like I don't because I don't even trust myself. So <laughs> that's the only way. No, I, that is a scary thought, especially for the ones... I won't say vulnerable people, but people who are a bit unaware of mm. how you can be manipulated. And I'd, I'm suggesting that the majority of people would be pretty unaware, especially as technology improves and oh, it's, who's it's, coming up with these ideas? Okay. Oh, look, Some seriously just, deranged people. Look, think tanks. Um, I mean, I found this topic really interesting. So now we're seeing technology get manipulated and it's kind of been a bit of a villain really. But look back in the past, you know, we, we had all these conspiracy theories about the Illuminati. We had all these conspiracy theories about JFK, other, uh, JFK all these different things that people believe there was this kind of underworld of society influencing elections all along. I mean, in less developed countries, you vote and, you know, some of these leaders are getting in with 100% of the vote, which I, I would imagine is fake. So look, it's a new problem relating to technology, but maybe this problem's kind of always existed because of human behavior. How is it developed? What? How are these people allowed to, or the technology developers, how are they allowed to infiltrate this way, use this? Well, it's like anything, right? So we developed the nuclear 
uh, bomb originally to create energy and then it was weaponized. Uh, deep fakes, for example, was supposed to be just a joke to be able to make your friends say something or the face app that we're seeing downloaded was just to be able to see yourself look old or young or like a girl or whatnot. And then people start using that technology for evil. And look, it's just think tanks of people that are being paid by political parties to say, okay, what tools do we have available now to help us get our person to the top? It's just human nature. There's good people and there's exactly not good people. <laughs> Seems to be a really crazy slew of politicians getting into power at the moment though, but yeah. So is it a faceless, like I'll call it an algorithm, twisting this data to use it, is it faceless or are there actually known people behind using this well, information for manipulation? I'd, I'd say that most of the political parties now are obviously doing social media campaigns. If they're employing companies like Cambridge Analytica, then they are the players, they are the state players. We saw Russia kind of get uh, implicated with the American elections. You know, whether that has truth to it, we know that they've definitely mounted attacks. We know that they definitely bought ads on Facebook and they've definitely manipulated. So that's a state player. But you can essentially manipulate political opinion now yourself. If you're a passionate person and you might be the sort of person that in the in the 80s and 90s went down and protested and now you have all these technology sets. So you could just influence your group of peers that then are connected to six other people. And with the internet, you know, you've all, everyone's heard that six degrees of separation. Look at LinkedIn, how powerful a tool that is. If you can influence a small group of people around you. So the answer, I guess, is there are individuals behind it. There are definitely state players. There are definitely political parties that have got more money so they can have more influence that are paying the companies and they charge a pretty penny. Mm. So hopefully that answers your question. But the, the truth is we don't really know. That's the scary part. Mm. What's the biggest weapon in terms of a, a known online tool? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn? Yeah, all the social media platforms. We've seen how successful or unsuccessful Trump's been in getting his messages out. Um, we've seen uh, Justin Trudeau do a really good job of humanizing himself and uh, just letting people see his day to life and that's influenced and gained popularity with him. We've seen the New Zealand Prime Minister do a pretty good job. We've even seen Australian Prime Ministers try and get up and, and create a profile for themselves with social media. The most powerful tool, I guess, is the first person to think of a new way of manipulating the public and at the moment that might be deep fakes or... Um, some scary stuff as well. We've seen the Swiss voting system, S-Vote. It's uh, developed by the same people who developed our New South Wales iVote system. It has a huge vulnerability. So an administer of that system, like an IT guy, uh, can now basically influence votes. And it's two vulnerabilities have been found. And look, I used to be an IT guy and I'm very trustworthy, but I don't imagine it would be very hard for a well-funded state entity to get someone working in that position. And that's just too much power for one person to have. We had Anthony Green on an earlier episode on Peacock politics and he was saying next time around, next federal election, which is in a few years' time, he's thinking, yeah, the, the pre-postal votes will be done online, but at the moment everyone's just going to stick to going in and filling out the piece of paper and the, the big Senate paper as well. Would you advise against going online in terms of our voting systems? Look, it's a tough one because, you know, it's... It's almost 2020 and we're going down and filling in pieces of paper. People are used to, like you said, ordering their food, staying at home and not leaving the couch. It definitely influences risk. In Australia, everything's pretty governed, so the paper system is pretty rock solid. But 
I mean, look at America a few years ago when, um, who was it? Florida. Florida, that's George right. Bush, the, yeah, the, the, um, the, the vote there that was so close that they didn't trust the technology and then they, this was the story, I remember reading about it a couple of months ago that they uh, went down and there was a lot of elderly voters in Florida who didn't quite understand what the hell was going on with their actual voting system when they went to the polling booth. So that- Exactly. So, I mean, there's risks in both models. I think uh, there's some new technologies like blockchain that will hopefully improve the end-to-end um, What's blockchain? Blockchain is basically uh, a way of making a ledger online. So essentially every person that accesses a piece of data, that access is recorded. Every time data is changed, it's recorded in what we call the ledger. So we can look back in time and go, if anyone accessed this that wasn't meant to, we can see that. We're also seeing some pretty cool quantum technologies that uh, if they were developed further would allow for a more secure voting system. You're, you're filling me back with hope here. You've, you've emptied me of hope through all the bad stuff that I've heard so far, but these little things, are they're actually for good, not evil. Yeah, exactly. And look, I'm really lucky. So the company that I, I work for has a, a red team and a blue team. The red guys are essentially hackers and they're constantly trying to come up with new ideas to breach political systems, to breach into companies. And then the good guys, the blue team, are always thinking of ways to protect it. And same thing, both sides have this toolkit to try and protect themselves. Um, yeah, hopefully the, the good team win. Hopefully your blues have a good day, not your reds. Otherwise, we're all stuffed. Um, The methods politicians use to get their message um, out—do they actually know what they're doing? Keep it to Australia here, if you if you could. Do do they are they across it? I I don't think so. Like I've spoken to quite a few politicians about technology, and and some of them are a little bit uh, tech illiterate. Some of them better than others. But they're paying people who do know what they're doing. Like something as simple as releasing a video online. Uh, the companies who they're paying will have 10,000 people in their pool all within Australia. And as soon as the video is released, they'll receive an SMS message and they'll click and like the video and comment. That tricks, say, the YouTube algorithm or the, any social media algorithm to then bolster that content to the top. The newspapers do it, the media outlets do it, and now the politicians are doing it because they have access to this expert opinion to show them how to do that. What's the YouTube algorithm? So more people watch it, it's yeah, so- more likely to get watched again because they... Yeah, they'll bump it up to the top of the page, Um, particularly if you like watching political videos in the first place, then they'll put it right there and a lot more people will actually organically start watching it. So the way the algorithm works, so say if you've got 10,000 people that are instantly going to like and comment and share the video, that's going to be outside of the norm. So the Facebook algorithm will go, well, that's an interesting video. People must like it. Let's get it out further because they want people to stay and watch their platform. Politicians simply have to get involved in this world? I think so, yeah. I mean, if they don't want to get influenced, they have to do exactly the same thing to sort of null out the effect. Who are the good ones so far that you've seen that are using the internet for their betterment, for to help their cause and, and to push them further into the eyes of the electorate? Yeah, look, sadly, Trump's really good at it. Mm. Uh, like I said, the Canadian Prime Minister is uh, really excellent at it. We haven't really seen, I don't think... Uh, Australian leader do it fantastically. Um, we saw Rudd do a reasonable job of it. Uh, he was quite popular online. Uh, and then Australian turned the key on the crazy politics genre. What about Scott Morrison when he does the, G'day, I'm Scott Morrison in his office thinking that he's just a, been watched by... When, when those videos go out, it, it, they we're going to see more and more of that. And, and how is it going to get in front of our eyes? 
Yeah, well, again, they'll be paying companies to get them in front of our eyes. They'll have, obviously, instantaneous media coverage being politicians, and we'll watch it, and that'll influence us. Uh, and then the scary thing is some of those technologies we were talking about before, how many of those videos are going to get manipulated and his original message get turned into Chinese whispers and saying something to anger us or please us or manipulate our vote. Is anyone using it horribly, like just totally getting it wrong with their online message or trying to, uh, look, like Clive Palmer, for instance? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess uh, if you don't agree with their political opinion, it's going to look wrong to you, but there's obviously yeah. people that are out there doing it. Um, Probably through no fault of her own, but obviously Pauline Hanson is uh, sort of so entrenched and, I guess, disliked by, I guess, quite a few Australians. Uh, the media jumped pretty quickly on her doing something silly, like climbing down Ayers Rock the other day. Uh, and, yeah, that seems to negatively affect her image. Uh, she's probably not doing the world's best job on social media. But she has a pretty sort of passionate group of supporters that uh, get her content out as well. That's the thing. And does she know, do these politicians know as soon as they do something like this that it is going to just get front and centre with, like, are they operating in an echo chamber? That's what I'm, I'm trying to say. Or are they actually helping themselves by getting their message out to people that wouldn't ordinarily see it? You know how the internet works, does it? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess five years ago, people were just having media advisors. Now they're having social media advisors. Uh, so they would be aware 100% that, uh, you know, a good message is going to be amplified maybe five times and a bad message is going to be amplified 50 times. You know, everyone reads the bad reviews at restaurants. No one really looks at the, the good ones. <laughs> but because of how algorithms use, when a politician puts out a video like this, is it only going to be the people that are supporting them anyway who have been known by this faceless algorithm yeah, I to, mean, to like, push them if you're direction? If you're YouTube, for example, right, you want people to watch your content. You want people just to sit there and kind of, absorb the ads that are on the side and you're going to give them content that they want to see. So absolutely, it's going to go to the viewers that they like. The people who are going to get really upset by this message, they're not going to see that video. In fact, it's really fascinating. If you jump onto a friend's, if you ever have the opportunity to jump onto a friend's uh, Facebook feed and just ask them who has a really different political opinion to you and have a look at how different the feed is and the different comments. So people who are really against immigration, all their news feeds will be about you know, this immigrant created this uh, crime wave and this person did that, something that I just never see. Mine's always about how immigrants are positively affecting the economy. So you can see right there and then it's already swayed what I'm seeing and they're seeing. And it's a really interesting exercise to go and do. Without even meeting someone, if you just had a data file on them, would you know who they'd vote for? I'd say you'd have a fairly good idea, yeah, for sure. So you'd have like what they're watching, what they listen to, who their friends are, what groups they follow... Yeah, you'd have a pretty good idea. And it's easy for anyone, to, or easy enough for anyone to hack into that data and use it. Yeah, look, people are, are really too trusting, particularly in Australia. We did a, a funny little video uh, on our LinkedIn and we just went around the streets and asked people for their password and people generally said, oh, no, no I'm not going to give it to you. And then said, oh, what's your password? It's your dog's name. No, no, it's my mother's name. Oh, okay, cool. And what, then some numbers? Yeah, yeah, the, the year my dog was born. Oh, okay, cool. What kind of dog have you got? oh, nice, what, what's your mum's name again? And they just give it out. People in Australia are too trusting and they put out information like dates of birth, where they live, where they work on social media already. And then from that, you can generally guess passwords. You can either find files about them online. There's 770 million email and password combinations available online. So that's one in seven people on the planet have their username and password combo out there on the dark web. Excellent. <laughs> I'm pumped. <laughs> Unreal. So on that, are we 
driving down a dangerous road with how politics in particular uses the internet? Yeah, I think um, for sure people are more likely to get uh, manipulated. I think people need to be far more aware these days. Like if you see something that angers you, just go through and read the comments. There'll usually be a few clever people in there that'll put fake or this is a deep fake or something like that. But people get so angry and they share it and these are how things proliferate around the world and start influencing more people. I think we are going down a dark road uh, for a short period. Maybe say the next five to ten years, people will start to adapt and know about these technologies. Everyone now knows to watch out for the scam email. Most people know to watch out for the scam email. Now people need to wisen up and watch out for the fake video, for the fake news. Um, in both directions. So look, it is a bit scary now. Hopefully some of those new technologies we're talking about are going to err it back in the, in the right direction. I know uh, some of the big intelligence agencies like the NSA and the ASD in Australia have developed um, software to detect video fakes and detect fake news. Who are the national security? So they're people who work for the government to look after the internet. Absolutely, yeah. So they've developed tech to give to the social media um, companies to run it through. So any video that gets displayed, hopefully it'll get detected and basically not put up online. Uh, but that's sort of a road, future road, not quite there yet. Politicians are put there in Canberra, in Australia's uh, instance, to introduce laws, to make Australia a better place, safer place, all of that. How are they keeping up with the rapidly developing world of technology and in particular the internet? Are they are they three steps behind because you just can't keep up because all these new developments to to ensure that these laws are in place to make sure that bad things don't happen, to put it simply? Yeah, well, I mean, the internet's really rapid and fast and things happen quickly and get opinions and data so quickly. So the legislative system is so slow. It's a dinosaur. Yeah, they're probably more than three steps behind. I mean, we know the Australian government, for example, experiences about you know, an attack every 40 seconds and a successful attack every 40 minutes or something like that. We don't know what they're doing. The government's not spending enough on, on cyber prevention. And the, the really scary thing is these laws that are taking six to 12 months to come out are already kind of redundant. They're Obsolete. Not, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So what's next? Where can it all lead? Do you think we'll see a political party or person delivered into a position of power on the basis of the twisting of data and the use of of data in the wrong way, not the right way? I think we already have. I think absolutely that uh, without the manipulation uh, from companies like Cambridge Analytica, you wouldn't have Trump in power, you wouldn't have the uh, EU problems that they're having with uh, Britain exiting. Yeah, I think it's already happened. That's in the past. So now we have to learn from what happened and try and put some things in place to stop it happening again. Or shut the internet down. Let's turn it off. It's probably not going to happen, is it? <laughs> oh, probably not. No, probably not. And hopefully not for your sake, because then you'd be out of a gig. So, <laughs> oh, I'm pretty good at making a crepe. I might start a new business. <laughs> hey, Bastin, uh, it has been fascinating. Thank you very much for filling us in. And uh, for those people listening out there, check out on podcast one, Cyber Hacker. Um, it's an amazing source of information for everything about the internet. Bastin, really appreciate your time on Peacock Politics. Thank you very much, Adam. Great being here. Peacock Politics was presented by me, Adam Peacock, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Liv Proud, sound production by Darcy Thompson, theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search Peacock Politics on Apple Podcasts.